Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi and welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Back in 2002, along with a best mate, I co-founded a local off-road duathlon, a run-bike-run, and we called it Hairy Legs Challenge. Uh, And in its heyday, we had up to nearly a 1,000 people participating in our local village. That went on for me to be a volunteer at the London Olympics, and I worked on the triathlon events and the cycle events, and I loved it. Uh, And anyone that knows me knows I've got an enthusiasm for sports events, which has led me to today's guest, Nick Rustling. So Nick is the CEO of Human Race, and Human Race was sold to ASO, who are the owners of Tour de France. The events that he runs include the London Winter Run with 25,000 runners, the Manchester Marathon with 26,000, the Tour de Yorkshire Ride with 4,500 cyclists, Le Tap UK by the Tour de France with 4,000, uh, but my personal favourite and one that I'm a regular Uh, I can't say competitor, participant would be a better description, the Royal Windsor Triathlon. More recently, he co-founded the 2.6 Challenge, which was initiated in a response to the postponement of so many events due to COVID. And this helped everyone to get involved to help and support local charities, which so many of his events do. Nick, a very warm welcome to you, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Phil. Thank you very much for having me on. Hey, look, thanks for coming. I know it's been a, a challenging period uh, and I've loved seeing what you've been doing uh, to, to keep things going. I guess, you know, look, I, I've got a good sense of what you do, but for those um, listening, give us a, an overview of your role, please. So currently it's, it's different to, to, to normal, but um, in, on a, a normal phase of, of time, um, I'm the CEO of, of Human Race, as you mentioned. We, we, we're a team of about 25 people. So um, I manage the team um, who get stuck into all aspects of, of our business. So we've got, we've got marketeers, we've got sales, we've got operators, we've got event deliverers, finance. Um, so I let them get on with, with what they're very good at. And, and overall, we deliver a range of events that, that uh, span the full calendar. So from February through to November, we deliver these large-scale mass participation events um, where, where I'll be at for, for, for a lot of them. I can't be at all of them, but I'll be at a lot of them at the, over the weekends that, that we deliver. And that's what we do as a business, which is put on events for up to about 100,000 people on a normal year will come and take, take part. Um, and for me, that's, that's the passion. And I think that's been my, my driving force. You, you mentioned 2002. I, I began in this mass participation world in 2001, and it, it's changed a lot. And I've been, I've been sort of immersed in a lot of that change, and, and it's been fascinating. But... Um, my, my day-to-day role is um, is CEO of, of Human Race, which uh, keeps me pretty busy. Uh, and I guess, you know, um, immediately I'm thinking a team of just 25, yet you're putting on events that will, you know, uh, run up to 25, 26,000 people. Uh, that's a, an amazing scale with, with such a small team. You mentioned you volunteered at the Olympics, and, and that's that's the spirit of a lot of, of how we, we do grow. I mean, for the, the London winter run, so... Starts in Trafalgar Square. Um, we shut down roads all the way through to St Paul's, and we end on Whitehall, just outside Ten Downing Street. So it's no mean feat. And to do that, we ha- will have about one thousand two hundred people working for us and with us on event day. 
and that's ranging from volunteers to medics to um, motorcycle police um, and uh, a huge range of different levels of expertise and so yeah the team the team swells and and um, it's about making sure everyone knows what they're doing at the right time and and that's very much part of the challenge but and then it's part of the joy because you build this amazing team all of whom are sharing a, a similar experience you know i guess a similar experience and a, and a purpose uh, of what you're looking to achieve what what's led you to do this because it's a different kind of role to, to many well certainly the people that i work with on a day-to-day -day basis as you know nick you know you've been to uh, a couple of our events uh, and remember you attending espresso a few years ago and you know our, our clients typically include large corporates there'll be a number of people from large corporates listening to this you know the, what you do is different what's led you to do it um it was a, a journey that was fortuitous really i i love sport so i mean that was very much my driving force of what I, where, the industry i wanted to work in and and that's uh, broad and varied and i think you I, I started off fairly naive thinking um, sport was was just going to be fairly straightforward, but you, there's a huge range of opportunities in sport. So um, I, I started off with a charity, and actually that that's really sort of taken hold of me, um, which I hadn't quite appreciated. I wanted to work for in sport, but it was a sports-based charity, and um, understanding that culture in in the UK, um, you know, I've delivered events all around the world, and they don't uh, marry a charity and, and mass participation events um, in the way that we do here. So I was very lucky to get a, a feel for that and a grasp of that early on. I then, I then became a sports agent, which made me realize that I didn't want to make sort of rich people richer, um, some of whom <laughs> had, had, had egos. Um, and then I um, became marketing manager for the London Triathlon. And I think the key thing, and, and um, I only realized it having delivered the first event that I was involved in, um, was that I realized it wasn't just events we were delivering, we were, we were delivering a customer service um, and we were delivering an experience and, and seeing people cross that finishing line, um, people with, with such a range of emotions and reasons why they're, they're doing it. Some to win, you know, some to raise money, some to lose weight, some to do it with mates, you know, whatever it is. And so that's 2001, that's been with me ever since. So I. I was lucky I fell into it. I realized it was a lot more than just event delivery, um, which can be quite clinical. Um, and it was a challenge. And, and for me, that's just an absolute driving force. I love a challenge. No days the same. You get all manner of stuff thrown at you with events, outside forces having their way. And um, we have to adapt. And I, and I love that. And ultimately, it's for the purpose of, of getting people over a finishing line, which is magical. Yeah, it is. Oh, what you brought a memory back to me there. The, the London Triathlon was my first ever triathlon back in uh, in '99, and I remember looking at the docks and seeing some you know green algae on the top and going, "Oh my God, I've got to go." And swimming at that point was my least favourite of the three disciplines, and I was delighted when I got out of the water and onto the bike. It was a good event. So, how would you describe your leadership style? I I would say I'm I'm encouraging of those around me. Um, which I, I really enjoy. I really enjoy seeing people develop. And, and with that, I, um, I give them authority. I give them responsibility, um, their own ability to, to grow. Um, I get disconcerted if, if I feel people aren't developing in their own careers and, and look to try and find, find ways that they, they always can. So encouraging um, is very important. Um, adventurous, 
I would say, um, possibly sometimes too much. I'm, <laughs> I'm aware from having done your type of training that focus is also a good word, um, but adventurous. Um, you know, I mentioned the love of a challenge, but exploring opportunities, exploring ideas, not being afraid to fail, um, and really hoping that, that those around me, um, colleagues, um, really just develop that that similar similar sort of spirit. With with that, just I think lastly is just outward outward looking. You know, I try and learn. You know, I try and you know, we you, I've been in mass participation world for for a long time now, nineteen years, and you can get blinkers on if you're not careful. So outward focus, looking for new relationships, new ideas, and and seeing seeing where where they will take me. Uh, excellent. Thanks. So, uh, and what do you think shaped that? Is that has there been any particular role models or any defining moments that that, that have shaped your leadership style? Um, I think I was quite lucky. I um, I suppose I was given a degree of leadership um, fairly young in my career. I was, I was sort of twenty seven when I became the the event director and then managing director for a range of events: London Triathlon, we've mentioned uh, the Blenheim Triathlon. Um, it was one of the, the great negotiations of my life, actually. I was offered another job. I didn't really want it, um, it in terms of my, my passion, but it was much better money. And the chairman of um, SBI, it was, we were called, um, and they, they owned the London Triathlon, who I worked for. He came up to me straight out, having, having delivered the London Triathlon for what was, was then going to be the, my last time. He said, "Why are you leaving? You love it." And um, and it was it was fairly crude and simple. You know, it was it was the money. And um, I had a negotiation where I said, "Look, I'll stay, but this this has got to be the terms." And um, you know, when you negotiate with with certainty, I was pretty clear. And, and fortunately, they gave me responsibility that I then um, picked up on, and that included doing things that I wasn't particularly adept at, which at the time were, were things operational. And and so I really had to learn about. You know how many volunteers we needed and swim safety and all these sorts of things. Yeah, I was I was on the commercial side, so I was thrust into it. So I would sort of say I learnt on on the job. Um, I found out my strengths and weaknesses. Um, I learnt from very much from those who I felt weren't to my style, um, <laughs> right. which I think you can do as much as those that that are. Um, so. Uh, I think that, that that's really important because you can sort of be down in the doldrums if you've got a boss who um, you don't quite appreciate. But I think you can you can definitely look at it as a learning experience. Um, and then probably once I'd learnt on the job, I then became much more interested generally in, in leadership and trying to understand uh, business cultures and, and how you know I could adapt myself and, and improve myself. So I'd, once I'd got a good grounding, I was lucky then to... to I suppose, apply a bit more theory to it. And I had some coaching and those types of things. And I, I became more alert to impressive people around me. So um, I'm not sure there was this one individual, but, you know, I, I could probably pick 10 of whom that I've, I've really picked up on a lot. And, and it's amazing how, how willing people are to, to offer advice and really, really senior people in, in business chairs and CEOs of mega organizations that I'd be lucky to develop relationships with are very happy to have coffee type chats and, and open up. And um, and that's something I've really enjoyed and that's that's helped me a lot. Yeah, thank you. Well, so what do you think's been your biggest challenge then in doing because you know that I the way in which you're describing some of the events that you have to 
organise and host. I'm sure there's <laughs> countless logistical challenges. What, what's been the biggest challenge as a leader you think you've faced? But, yeah, I think there's two, maybe two elements to that. One is um, the, the the practical part of, of the challenge around an event day and, and absolutely you're exposed as a leader if um, things aren't going the way you intended. Uh, and then the other one is, you know, just I suppose the more the more day-to-day -day challenge um, around being a leader. On, on the event scenario, um, I mean, there are so many that um, <laughs> it, 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 it definitely would fill a book. And um, I think I've learned a, a, a calmness. Well, one of my big sayings is with information, we can take decisions and you just need to know what you, what you can find out, what you can't find out, and then you take a decision to the best of your ability. And I mean, it's ranged from um, the, the very first time that um, we, uh, it was the first half marathon in London that we came up with this concept called Run to the Beat. It started at the O2 and, it, and it, um, it started and finished on the peninsula in Greenwich where the O2 is and it went out into, um, into Greenwich around the park and around um, all sorts of nooks and crannies of, of, the, of the borough. And we had a shocker to start to finish. Um, <laughs> another event that I also put on um, was the Barcelona Triathlon. And I remember talking to the mayor in Barcelona saying, and then they said, well, look, we've got one date, which was the 5th of October, which will be etched on my mind forever. And I knew it was the same date as Run to the Beat. And I said, yeah, we can do that. So we, we instantly were on the back foot because we had to split our, our best team, both of whom were probably needed at any one of those individual events. So I was at Run to the Beat. A, a senior colleague was leading the Barcelona Triathlon. And, and, and we were on the back foot. And, and I definitely learned around over-promising and under-delivering when it comes to marketing. Then on event day, um, it was biblically bad weather, winds, um, the trains went down, so volunteers didn't turn up. And on and on, it, it piled onto us. And it was the first time that social media really had become a, um, a thing around uh, sort of customer communication. And we, and we weren't ready for the crisis around social media communication and and it absolutely hit us and, and my name was called for to resign and and we had sony erickson as a, a title partner and their ceo was brought into it and um this was all sort of uh, manifesting um, on on the monday and um you know you just gotta you've got to stay strong and, and everyone around you is really feeling this because we you work hard and your heart and soul is into it and as a leader you know i even though my name was hold in and uh, we I, I know we didn't deliver the best event that we we could have done and we made loads of mistakes you know it's about it's about having conviction of belief and going back to Sony Ericsson saying look there's there's a plan we can weather this it's about going back to customers and being honest and saying uh, we're going to learn give us your feedback um, and 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 then particularly the team because you know we uh, with, with mass participation you, you're up uh, you work very hard you're up early you know, the emotions are pretty raw the following day. And so um, I have to confess I was a little hungover as well and just got to stay <laughs> strong for them. Um, and you got to stay strong for them because, yeah. um, you know, if, if, if I was sort of creeping into a hole or dodging bullets or uh, blaming people or, you know, all those types of things, then, then that, I, th I think that's just poor leadership. So um, I can't, I don't think I sort of reflected. There was no moment when I, I felt I had to, sort of have a word with myself, but 
I think with hindsight, I, I did stay strong for them. And, and the next year was a great success. Uh, good for you. What, what did you... So it's a great story, Nick. Thank you. Um, uh, and my heart goes out to you in terms of some of those things which were completely out of your control. Clearly, some of them were also within your control. What did you learn during that process? A lot. Um, well, as I touched on over-promise, under-deliver. I think in, in one word, we made a mistake. So we said... Um, we, the, the premise was run to the beat. So we, we asked people what music they liked uh, to run to. We brought a scientist in, Dr. Costas Georges, who would then um, educate us and, and the runners about um, why music can help your performance psychologically, uh, physiologically. And then we played the right music all the way around the course with beats per minute and, and the stuff they liked. And um, so we said, look, music is going to be played throughout the course. And the, the expectation, I think, was continuous. And we had 24 music stations, and um, I think nine didn't show because of the weather and the tubes going down. And so as a result, um, we had 15, and that was just a little bit more than one every mile, which was great fun. And, and at the time, you didn't have that sort of entertainment around those sorts of routes, but the expectations were high, um, and we didn't deliver according to that. So over-promising, under-delivering to less than one, less than two, um, I think um, was definitely you got to have your you got to if you've got big challenges you've got to have your A team around you and splitting splitting the resource um, based on a, a bold decision um, which I think probably having sort of moved on in through the years and both events were established and and and, and sort of lasted a number of years wasn't necessarily the biggest mistake but um, the, to deliver the best event which we all set out to do you need to have the right team around you so that was um, another. Another big mistake, and um, I think thirdly, the just contingencies. You know, I, I learned about when the weather is is shocking. How many what percentage of volunteers are not going to show up, and mm. it was higher than we had planned for. So we had less than we anticipated, and I ended up in the back of a a baggage marquee trying to find people's bags because um, we didn't <laughs> have enough volunteers. And um, so yeah, uh, contingency planning. You know. You, you're always learning on that front, um, but to probably uh, overestimate in in some worst case way what is a truly worst case scenario, and probably add a few more percentages onto it again. Yeah, look, uh, look thank you for you know this. This is as you know called leadership confessions, and I think that's a that's a great example. So, so Nick, you 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 are and sound a very calm character, uh, but there must be times when the when the red mist comes down. What what buttons have people pressed? for that to happen what you know what what rattles your cage i think i think i am and um you know i've learned the, that i am and that's just sort of um i suppose who, who i am the the thing that i can think of um however is is probably within a work environment and it hasn't happened often but it's it, um it's when you get people in in a work environment and and politics gets gets in the way and and I can't stand politics. I can't stand. Um, I can't stand it when people are blaming each other. I can't stand it when people are making excuses or um, talking behind people's backs. Um, and there's just been a couple of examples where I've just um, brought the, the whole team together and, and without sort of just pinpointing individuals to say, "Look, I know this is this is happening. Uh, I will not stand for it." Um, talk to each other, be honest, and come back to me and, and let me know 
how you're going to deal with it because it's just not acceptable and won't, it won't happen in in, uh, in, a, in in a place that I'm in charge of. And and it, and it was effective. And you know, I suppose you know, I, I could have pulled individuals out and, and done it differently, but I, I wanted to make the the, the point to everybody um, and just use and and I, I didn't sort of necessarily think about how I was going to use it tactically to, to have that effect. But I was genuinely <laughs> genuinely annoyed and I just <laughs> stomped out and made this massive sort of, and I actually marched out of the, the office. <laughs> Didn't return for about an hour. Um, you sort of walk out and wonder what everyone's thinking. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's only two, I can think twice. Once, once very early on, actually, um, when, I, when I mentioned sort of my 20s when, it, when I knew it was happening and another time more recently but um yeah that that really annoys me you you talked uh, very openly about you know the run to the beat and the barcelona triathlon on that 5th of october has been you know a day you'll, you'll never forget what about on the positive side if you think about one of the proudest moments one of the best events is there you know is there one that kind of springs to mind you go that was just that was awesome um there are a lot um I mean, there really are. Uh, I think L- the London winter run was a real challenge to to get the roads. You know, ultimately, you know, for most of these events, it's, they're either venue based or they or they are public roads. And so, to get roads in central London, um, you know, in my mind, the greatest city in the world, uh, was a privilege. And it took a few years, and um, it took a lot of persuasion. And a lot of convincing that, that we were the right people to to, to deliver as well. Um, and so when that when that then manifests into um, a successful launch and a successful marketing campaign, and, and it was the biggest ever global uh, inaugural 10k run at uh, the time. But the fact that we were starting in in Trafalgar Square um, was, and, and we sort of had Trafalgar Square, it was ours for, for a weekend because you have to build on it the day before. Um, and as a Londoner, um, there was an extraordinary moment and you feel a sense of responsibility and and, this, and a huge sense of pride that um, that the, uh, the the great and the good of, of London have granted us the privilege of, and, and, the, and, and the runners as a result of, of being there. So uh, that, that was monumental for me, for sure. Um, I think there's one other one other one I'd want to mention actually, which is um, the Manchester Marathon. And um, I, I've been involved in, as you said, triathlons and big cycling events and, and running events for, for years, but never been involved directly in a marathon. And we bought Manchester Marathon in 2017, and it was not um, about 9,000 people. And, and we've grown it; it's actually over 30,000 people now, which is incredible growth. And, um, I think with, with the marathon, they've just got a whole different personality to them. They've got um, obviously everyone is aware of, of a marathon broadly. It's a it's a it's a brand, and and as a result, there's a power with a marathon, and there's a power to do good, and you can really connect with um, charities naturally, communities, schools, get kids to do a mile <clears throat> a mile a day for 26 days, and and then they've done a marathon, and um, there's there's all sorts of things you can do off the back of. Uh, just what is a sort of a 26 mile run and um, and with that it just becomes um, really exciting as to the, the the amount of good we can do with that event and it's this amazing journey we're on 
working with the likes of Andy Burnham and um, Trafford and Manchester Councils and, and all sorts of partners who are really into the, what we can do with this event. So um, it's a, a, a source of, of continual pride, actually, how what we're doing with that event. We didn't create it. Somebody else did and, and did an amazing job. And, and we've taken up, taken on the baton. And, and, I, and it's the sort of event that I know will be there for another 50 years, hopefully 100 and, and, and more. So, you know, we are developing it and um, I won't be there because there will never be an end. Um, hopefully. So I think there's a real sense of pride around what we're doing there with, with the Manchester Marathon. Oh, two great stories uh, and, uh, and also two, two great cities. Um, when, when, when are you at your best? Personally, when are you at your best? What have you got to do? What, what things have you got to put in place for you to be at your best? Um, when, when there's a challenge in front of me, um, I, I, don't, I don't take no for an answer. So I love... I love confronting a challenge <laughs> and uh, through belligerence, I would say, maybe more than intelligence, but um, <laughs> looking at how to navigate through through challenges. So, um, I, I, you know, if you're looking at sort of where I've got strength uh, that, you know, not everyone possesses, I think the ability to make something happen when it, the, the path to get it to happen isn't that straightforward. Um, hugely motivates me and uh, you know I, I'd like to think that more often than not I succeed I've, I've had people say to me please please respect our decision it's it's a no um, <laughs> I'm eventually I suppose I do but um, uh, if, if, it, if it's really important there were there was an arms aloft moment when we we got the Manchester Marathon into the city centre and there were a lot of challenges around that, which I won't go into the detail, but um, we, we got a yes and it was on the phone and it was a, it was a proper arms aloft moment because that was a key part of our, what we're trying to do with that event. And, um, you know, I probably hadn't known for a couple of years. So I, I love, I suppose that's uh, possibly when I'm, one of the ways when I'm at my best. Yeah, yeah, so determination is what I'm hearing coming over loud and clear. What, what advice um, would you share for aspiring leaders i think get stuck in you know i think that there's i think everyone has got their own way and i think that there is so much great stuff out there for leaders to learn from and read and absorb and think um but you know i suppose it's because of the, it's the way i did it but um it was just get stuck in i think you'd learn so if you've got enough awareness whilst you're getting stuck in then I think that's going to be the, the best way. Um, and through that process, listen and learn and, and ask, ask every, you know, don't just sort of ask mentors and um, people who have, who have done it before. Ask those around you, you know, how, how, you, how they think you're doing. Don't, don't be afraid to pause and, and ask those questions. So get stuck in um, I, and, and don't give up. And, you know, ultimately you've been put in that role or you've got that role for a reason. And and really cherish that reason, nurture it, and and give it your best. And I think that's all you can do in life is give it your best shot. So you're going to make mistakes, and if it doesn't work out, then you know you'll you'll hopefully take that on board and become a better leader somewhere else. But um, you don't learn unless you get stuck in. Yeah, good answer, sir. Thank you. Uh, look, it's it's a fascinating role that you do because much of your work will be also delivering at weekends, uh, and you know you're you're a family man. Give us a an insight to to the to the Nick outside of work and how you manage that time. 
Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, for some reason, I've I, yeah, become a weekend worker. And, um, you know, I, I suppose at my busiest, I might have been working 15 weekends a year, which definitely had its strains. And, and you know, just naturally, our industry can be quite summer focused. So sort of May, June and then and then September, you know, I'd often be away most of the weekends. Um, we, we started, you know, I've delivered events internationally. So that sort of spreads your calendar. Uh, the London winter run, you know, again. So um, I think with that, um, stresses and, and you learn, you know, as a, as a relationship, I think particularly with my, my wife about making sure I found time elsewhere. I think it's difficult when you're trying to build and run a business and, you know, straight after an event in the Monday morning, there's, there's something else you could be doing. So finding the time to, to stop and pause and give that time to the family and to yourself. Um, I probably struggled at in the early years and I found a better balance, that's for sure. But um, earlier on, it, it was it was tough and I didn't didn't do well enough. Um, but, you know, for me, outside of work, um, it, it absolutely family, family number one, you know, two children. I've got a wife now, um, been married for 17 years. And um, it's just my, my joy and um, I, you know, would definitely devote the, the majority of my time there and do so um outside of that it's it's sport i love playing sport actually the um the lockdown and general sort of last nine months have been great for apart from when we uh, legally couldn't it was actually playing sports i was doing a lot more sort of exercise based stuff um stuff ranging from cycling to just generally keeping fit and strong but i just love playing sports um, you know, it doesn't have to, to be too competitive, but and I played a lot more and, and started playing a sport called paddle tennis and cricket and um, all sorts of different things, which just get my competitive juices going. So that's been great, and, and again, just playing a lot with the family as well. Um, so um, outside of work, I, I, I love I love sport, watching sport, playing sport. Fab. Um, uh, and professionally or personally, then, how have you overcome your biggest setbacks? Yeah, I mean, I think I think personally, um, you know, they've, they've revolved around uh, death of of loved ones, um, and I tend to just plough on. Um, I've I've tried to communicate a lot more. I think um, I didn't used to be a, a, a communicator about my emotions. My wife's been great at, at getting me to do that more. I probably don't still don't do do it enough, but um, but. You know, even before I was a communicator, and I think I was okay with that, but those around me weren't because I would just plough on. Um, and in, in, and professionally, um, I think again it, it's just been learning actually that communication is best. And so I think you could you could run that through all of all of your life. And I've and I'd like to think that I am a communicator. Um, I wasn't about my my deepest emotions. Um, which I've improved at, but communication across the board, I think, is vital uh, for in any sort of relationship. And um, if you're a leader, you're in you're in a lot of relationships, um, and at home, um, they they're your best relationships. Yeah, I like that answer. So thank you. It, looking forward to the future, what what does that hold for you? And I guess I'm looking at what does it hold for you? And is there an event that that you know you've kind of you know, 
that you've got, that's the one I'd love to to run, Phil, or I'd love to host or something. You know, if you've got something that you could share, you can, that would be my next dream event. And also, what does the future hold for you personally? Um, I, I'm, I'm still, as you said at the beginning, um, I, uh, I had some investors and we sold to ASO in 2016. And, I, and I'm still here with good reason. Um, because I, I love the journey we're on with with human race, both individual events, um, but also the relationship we have um, with with my parent company and the opportunities that we can keep developing, you know, around things like the Tour de France, um, which in in the, in the event sense um, they get more challenging, or or I think it's the third largest recalled event in the world, sporting events in the world after the Olympics and, and the Football World Cup. So. Those types of things keep me challenged, they keep me motivated, um, for sure. Um, as I mentioned, the Manchester Marathon, we're, we're sort of just scratching at the surface as to what we can do with that. Um, so that would keep me keep me motivated for, you know, for the foreseeable future again as well. Um, so there's lots on my immediate plate from, from that point of view. I think if you'd sort of fast forward 10, 20 years, um, and as to, to what I want to achieve, it's going to be it's going to be around people's experiences, and um, I, I don't think there's much rawer and better than mass participation. Um, I suppose the, the the ultimate in in my world is the London Marathon. Um, I think it is the most impressive mass participation event in the world. Um, I'm not sure if I'd ever want the, the role as as a leader there. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you know. I think, um, but. Yeah, so you know, I've, I've taken on a number of challenges that I that I've wanted to. I, I love I love delivering overseas actually, um, and I've particularly when I I set up Human Race and prior to that I was at IMG, which is a big global company, and mm -hmm. I very much was eyeing overseas opportunities. And we we created Barcelona, I mentioned Abu Dhabi, Stockholm, and I, and I was sort of jetting around the world, just initiating these events from scratch and. Um, and we deliver triathlons in a whole range of big cities. And, and I loved the fact that you've got your sort of identikit, here's how we do an event, and then you lob it into a different culture and it, it gets blown yeah. apart because yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. just to take one thing, timeframes and response rates are just so different. Um, and there are many other reasons culturally why, why, why the delivery is different than, and learning and adapting from those sorts of opportunities is I, I loved and I haven't done for a while. Um, so I think that that would definitely that's an itch that um, I, would, I would like to to explore at some point as well. Oh, I love it. Uh, and a couple of quick fire questions to to, to close up. Uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Um, I think burning stuff. <laughs> um, I love burning. Stuff. I love uh, I love fires. <laughs> um, we've got a fire, a, an outdoor uh, kadai, it's called, which is uh, we've got a barbecue on and. Have evening fires um, in the summer. We we have a um, my wife's family live in the Isle of Wight, and we have a, a night called Moab, which is the mother of all bonfires. Where my role is is the 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 person who who sources the wood. So we've been enormous bonfires that put sort of Guy Fawkes night to shame, burning boats and stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, burning. But I love a fire. <laughs> oh, you and I both. I and mean, anyone that in my family is listening to this will go, oh, God, another one just <laughs> like that. Uh, and what makes you smile? Um, burning stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and my, my family, yeah, it's cheesy, but, but it's true. 
Yeah, good on you. So, look, you know, I've participated in a number of events that you organise. I love them. You know, the Windsor Triathlon is is was always a, an annual fixture in my calendar to get myself fit for. And the um, the relaxed, informal nature of the events, I just think, is is wonderful. Uh, and I, and then you know, so as a participant, um, I'm speaking on behalf of, you know, as you said, about a hundred thousand people here that enjoy your events each year. Thank you, but also the number of charities that you you help um, uh, uh, throughout doing what you're doing. Uh, please keep up the good work. Thanks for those stories today, Nick. It's been absolutely brilliant, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Pleasure, Phil. Thank you. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.